Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Everybody awake? That was some awesome worship. Thank you, guys. When you do it all the time, it's, it's nice to take a break. But when you take a break, it's not really taking a break because you get into worship and, and you just sing at the top of your lungs and kind of lose your voice anyway. So bear with me. This morning, um, we're going to, uh, you need to bear with me a little bit more because I'm, I'm going to share something. Kelly, why don't you just share that real quick here? I just threw it at her. One. six miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Okay. So now you're going, what is going on today? Let me tell you, I got, I got some good stuff today. Um, <laughs> if you haven't really seen that movie, I'm not, I'm not suggesting it. The language is not so good in it, but it's the Blues Brothers, if you didn't know. Um, and I, I think it's interesting. I, I kind of thought about this movie this last week when, we were, when I was going through Acts, believe it or not. Um, the Blues Brothers, if you've seen the movie, you know that they kind of go through the whole movie talking about they're on a mission from God. As Elwood would say, I'm on a mission from God. And... I, you know, I, I was thinking through that movie, and I, I, I you know, these, these, these hoodlums see the light at a, at a gospel kind of um, service, which is funny because there's, there's a gospel-y kind of service with nuns, because um, there's a nun that hits, anyway. Um, but these guys see the light, and they, they go about setting up this, this concert to raise money for the church. And they're on this mission from God is to, to pay off this debt or whatever. And, um, and they go through the whole movie with this, we are on a mission from God. And, and nothing will deter them. And I think that that is a really good example of how we should be as a church on mission. We should be a church on mission that can't be deterred from its mission. No matter what we go through, yeah, this is a little bit on the odd side. I mean, they drove through a, a, a mall with their car, and they were just doing some really wild stuff. But, but the thought is, is they really did not let anything deter them from that mission. Um, this morning, we are continuing in Activate, Living on Mission. Um, and the title this morning is, What Mission Looks Like. This is what mission looks like. Um, again, not a movie that I suggest. The language is, is, and the humor can be a little bit less than appropriate. But be, that being said, their, their perseverance and their tenacity um, cannot be ignored. Um, you can't ignore that tenacity. Um, we've seen that in the world. We've seen that not necessarily just in the church. We, actually, sometimes we don't see it in the church, really. We see it in people that, that persevere, right? How many, how many of you watch, like, YouTube videos on, on, like, America's Got Talent? Or you watch America's Got Talent on, on, the, on TV? So I'm, sorry, I do YouTube. Um, or you, you watch movies that are about people overcoming. 
Anybody? Well, the rest of you are probably kind of lying because um, typically most movies are about overcoming. Most of our stories are about man versus something, right? That's, that's most of the, the storylines. I mean, you can sum it up in that. That's why it's, it, it, I think Hollywood is having so much trouble writing anything good is because th they've just kind of used up all the stories. Or at least they don't have anybody creative. Um, sorry, that, bad. That was my opinion. Um, but there's something about our story as a church, our story as believers, that is about overcoming. And that perseverance should be seen in the church. It should be seen in us. It should be seen in a church on mission. That we will not be deterred from what God has called us to. We will not be shaken. These are words that we see in Scripture, right? Are you living that life that will not be shaken? Or have you been shook? This morning we're in Acts um, chapter 4 and 5, and I, I, I'm just going to read a couple things here, just starting out um, in 4, verse 32. Uh, it says, uh, Now the full member, uh, number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common, and with great power the apostles were given, uh, giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. Um, it goes on to say a little further down. It says, Thus Joseph, um, who was also called um, by the apostles Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, um, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, um, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, now this, is, this, is the, this is one of those things like, have you ever had those moments like, um, uh, I was thinking about, uh, they have a, uh, in, in a deck of cards, the eight of diamonds. Have you ever noticed the eight of diamonds? Um, you have to look at this now because you're probably going to be like, I don't know what he's talking about. But on the eight of diamonds, the way they lay out the eight of diamonds, the blank space around the diamonds makes an eight. And I, I have to say, I was, I was this many years old when I f found that out. Have you ever had one of those moments where you find something out that everybody else maybe knew or something that maybe you didn't and, um, and you just, it hits you and you're like, wow, I didn't know that. It hit me this last week, even though I've read it, because I go over that and I go into Ananias and Sapphira, I miss the fact that this is Barnabas. This is Barnabas that went with Paul. This is Barnabas that encouraged Paul and brought him before everybody and said, hey, hey, this guy's really, and we're going to see this later. In Acts, where, where Barnabas says, hey, this is a guy that we, we, need to, we need to endorse this guy. And they're all like, what are you talking about, you nut? This is a guy that's like stoning of Stephen. He was holding coats. He was there. Am I losing you guys? Okay. Oh, I am losing you? <laughs> Vicky said, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I said... I said, I, am, I, am I missing you? <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that. That was good. Um, but this is the same. He, he's the same one that did that. He's the same one that, that went against Paul, in a sense, and said, no, I'm not going to go with you because you, you, you're, you're not going to take Mark. Mark. We're going to go. We'll go over this other place. And I'm going to encourage him like I encouraged you when you started. And we see... This Barnabas from the beginning. This, this is the Barnabas, and he's actually being shown as a good example 
right before Ananias and Sapphira. And the first thought here is that mission is encouraging and generous. So a church on mission, us, a church on mission is encouraging and generous. You may not be an encourager. You know Tom, right? Tom Kirby? Anybody know his gift? He is an encourager every week that I see him. She's not here right now. I'm, but he's my little encourager, man. He just, he'll tell me all morning long how good I did, right? how, how good of a man of God I am. And, and I just feel completely unworthy for that man's encouragement, but it, it gets through to me. And I think the Lord speaks that encouragement through him. But that's the encouragement. That picture right there of Tom is the encouragement that we should have for one another as the church. We should have for other people as the church. When, when they come into our midst and, and we get to know them, we should be encouraging them. Encouraging isn't just saying, hey, you look like you're well put together today. Right? Good morning. You look good. Isn't that what we do? Sometimes encouragement gets to another place where we actually ask questions that draw things out of people. Because how the heck did Barnabas figure out that Paul, who was Saul at the time, how did he figure that, that this guy is the perfect guy to be taking the word of the Lord? into? He drew something out of him. So you can even say that maybe Barnabas helped by God's plan helped to bring something out in Paul that impacted the nations, the world, and people's eternity. You, you know, there's, there's, there's a little bit of responsibility that, that we have that I don't know if you guys are quite aware, but we have the ability to encourage people in their walk for eternity. Not just for the moment, but there are things that we might draw out of people because of the things that God has done in us that we see in them and we say, hey, let's draw that out in you. And suddenly they make a choice in their life that affects them, impacts them for eternity. If that doesn't scare you about the responsibility that God has put on us, nothing will. There is a responsibility in you as a church on mission to be encouraging and generous. Barnabas was known as an encourager. Interesting to see that he was an early example on how to give as well. So we see him as an encourager. We know him as an encourager. We hear Barnabas, and if somebody named their kid Barnabas, we'd be like, oh, you're, you're, you're named after an encourager. But he was also a great giver. He gave from, from this, this property in, 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 in the... Um, uh, studying through, I found that um, he's, he's a, a, a Levite. It says that he's a Levite, um, which the Levites weren't supposed to hold property. So he had picked up property. This wasn't like something that was handed down. He was just successful enough. He had maybe purchased this, or maybe his dad had purchased this property and had given it to him, but it wasn't a Levitical hand down, right? This wasn't something that was promised from the, the promised land. This was something that he looked at and went, I'm, I'm a Levite. And, and he said, you know what, Lord, this is yours anyway. And he sold it and gave all the proceeds. 
Conversely, we see these two, Ananias and Sapphira. You don't see these names being used a lot. I don't, I don't know why. Um, Ananias and Sapphira, in chapter 5 it says, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds, um, brought only part of it, and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart um, to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not, uh, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have um, not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last and great fear came upon all who heard of it. Whew! That escalated quickly, right? You know, this is one of those things where people might feel like, whoa, God, wow, that's harsh. But this is right at the beginning of the church, right when good examples and bad examples kind of come out of the woodwork, right? We had the bad example of Judas, and at one point, Peter was both good and bad example. Um, and then we get to Ananias and Sapphira, and it goes on to, to say that um, Sapphira comes in, and they challenge her with the same question, and, and she ends up um, dying on the spot as well. And it, it feels so harsh, but yet there, there's something to learn from this, that um, these two were unified, they were unified in a bad way, but they were unified, and they, they kept to the same story. You know, keep your story straight. Anybody has kids, you know, teenagers, you did something, and you broke something, and we've got to keep our story straight. Wait, that, that sounds like lying, but because you don't have to keep your story straight if you're telling the truth. Anybody cheat at a board game? Anybody cheat at a board game? Anybody? I'm going to raise my hand because I've done it. You go and roll a, roll a dice and you, you're just like, but I want to roll, I, I roll a four, but I roll a three. You ever do that as a kid? You said, I rolled a four. It's a childish thing, isn't it? But this is kind of what Ananias and Sapphira did. They wanted, they wanted the same, same kind of notoriety that Barnabas was getting for going in and saying, God, you deserve my everything, and I'm going to sell this piece of property in here. Just give it to this new church, this budding church. I'm giving it all. I don't, I don't want any of it. And Ananias and Sapphira saw how people responded to Barnabas, this encourager, and they kind of lied on their, their board game. They, they sold a piece of property that probably people knew about this property, and it was probably something like, wow, that's, that's a big property. And then they brought in a certain amount, and they gave it, but they kept back some. Was God mad at that choice, at, at what they gave? Or is it the choice? Because it was, I mean, it's, it's all 100% his anyway, right? And yet... They took some, and, and they could have just been like, you know what, we'll give him 90% and we'll keep 10%. That's still 
100% wrong. Because they lied to the Holy Spirit, as Peter said. They contrived to lie to God. In some ways, you're lying to yourself when you think. Second thought is this, that being a church on mission. Mission is unified and honest. I say unified and honest because you can be unified and dishonest, as we see from Ananias and Sapphira. We can lie to ourselves. We can lie to each other. But ultimately, where that starts to get us in that place where we're, we're walking down the same road as Ananias and Sapphira in that place of sin is that we lie to the Holy Spirit. We cheat on that board game. We cheat on our taxes. Well, it's not really cheating. It's just, just kind of fudging a few numbers. You know, it's a four, but that's only one more than a three. So, so that's good, right? I think that we're, we're supposed to be unified and honest. And when we're unified in the spirit, when we're unified in the spirit and we're honest, sometimes those things come out. Sometimes those things leak out of us. Those things, like if they were... If Ananias and Sapphira were being honest with themselves and get to the point where, like, you know what? You know what? You're, you, the thing is, we've got more we held back, and we're just going to go ahead and give that. Or we've got more that we held back, and, and we just wanted the notoriety. We, could there have been a different response from the Holy Spirit if, if Ananias and Sapphira would have responded that way? If they would have been unified in spirit with the body, with the church on mission, would they have gotten to a place where that, that transparency would have broken something in them rather than broken their lives. What do you think? Do you think that we wouldn't have had a bad example of Ananias and Sapphira? We might have had a good example of how to be confessing and how to be transparent? We hope. So maybe they were a good example for us, even though they were a bad example for them. This seems a bit harsh, yet look at what people are living through today. Think about what people were living through back then. I mean, today we live through long car lines at Dutch Brothers. We, we live through, dear Lord Jesus, give me a front row parking spot at Costco as we go around for the seventh time. But back then, they were living through the miraculous. They were living through healings and great grace and people living out truly holy lives in Christ. And this immediately on the hills, this happens immediately on the heels of great generosity. We see great deceit. These two only wanted the acclaim that came with this gift. And that can't be what it's about.
Acts 5, 12 through 13 says this. Um, now many signs and wonders were regularly being done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. Again, they were back in the temple preaching, which is awesome. Um, none of the rest dared join them, the rest being those that, that didn't believe, those that, um, that had seen them getting beaten, getting, getting um, reprimanded. Um, but the people held them in high esteem. Huh, interesting. And more than ever, believers um, were added to their uh, added to the Lord multitudes, both men and women. The um, the thought that they none of the rest dared to join them, and eyes were on them even more than ever. Right? People were watching these guys. The, the beginning of the church, they're watching them. People are watching them, and they they have a great respect for them, but they don't want to join them because there's there's a risk there. It's risky to be a believer. How many know that it's risky to be a believer? It is risky to be a believer. If you think it's not, you're not walking with the the God I'm walking with. He's risky. It's risky to believe because people are watching you. Do you know that people are watching you? People that may not believe like you do, but there are people that are watching. How are you going to respond to this situation? Somebody dies in your family. How are people watching you and going, how are they going to respond? I mean, it's like Job. What is it? His friends were always telling him, hey, just curse God and die. Very uplifting friends at the time. Um, Not Barnabas people. Definitely not. But there's something about the things that we see in, in, in Scripture. It's, it's been happening for a long time. People are watching us. We're watching one another and seeing how we're going to respond in these moments with, with life happening. None of the rest dared to join them. And more than ever, there were believers that were added to their number. So even though there were, there were those that were like, I'm not, we're not going to join them. We respect them, but we're not going to join them. There's still people being added to their number. The phenomenological signs, the, the things that, that were happening, the, the, the miracles, those phenomenon, the signs and wonders, they matter to us. The third thought is that mission is expressed outwardly and it draws inward. It's expressed outward and it draws inward. It expresses outward and it draws inward. Does this sound like anything else in our life? Prayer. Prayer is supposed to be an outward that also, there's this, have you noticed this with this ebb and flow of our life as believers? Everything that we have with the Lord goes in these waves. Let's, let's break it down even further. Maybe that's, I'm getting a little bit of like, okay. He hands us each and every breath that we breathe. And we breathe it out in praise. And he hands us another breath in praise. Are you getting me here? When we pray out, then we 
wait, when we pray out and we wait, when we praise and he responds, as David was saying this morning, when we praise and he's just like up there going, How many of you have done that for your kids, right? Your kids do something, and, and it's like, oh, they just, they just made a mud, pie, mud, mud uh, pot out in the backyard, and, and uh, good job. You get something they bring home from school, and you go, and you put it on your fridge, and you're just like, that's my kid. How much more is our God like that with us when we praise him? We take breaths that he has given us just to survive. And we try to give back as much as we can of that. Yes, there's, there's this tithe, which means 10%, right? But he knows, you know what? I mean, it's all mine anyway. And they give back this 10%. Oh, thank you. It's like, it's like a, a, a toddler giving you a cookie that they've had. You're like... Mm, thank you. You got the picture, right? But that's what God does with us. He's like, oh, you know. And I remember times when you, 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 you don't necessarily have it, and you give as much as you can. I love that Billy brought up the whole thing about the might, because there's, there's times where it feels like you're giving everything you got. And it's not the 10%. <laughs> It might be 1%. God's not going. He only gave 1%. He's not going to clap anymore if you're like, oh, I gave 50%. He's still going to be like, gave 50% of what I give him in there, but he's only given like 1% of prayer life. Or spending 1% of the time in the Word. Or listening to me at all. So we all have areas where we have that deficit and that surplus. Don't we? If we have a surplus, we're like, Lord, look what we got. I got a cookie for you. Here you go. It's got some slobber on it, but it's okay. But here's some things that I'm suffering in. Here's some things I'm struggling in. That's honesty, right? That's being unified and honest with one another and unified and honest with God. I believe I believe that we can do and be a part of the same miracles that we read in here. I believe that the miraculous still happens today. I believe that, that the word does not say that it ended with the apostles. It does not say that. There's not something saying, hey, Peter was one of the last people that got to do this and see people raised from the dead. I've met people that have talked about places over in Indonesia where they've seen people raised to life after days being dead. Doctors saying they're dead. I believe that God can do that in, in our church. He can, he can come and <laughs> resuscitate us.
each and every one of us, there's things in our life that need to be resuscitated. There's no such thing as a DNR in the kingdom. There is, there is the ability to be resuscitated. There is ability not only to be resuscitated, but to be brought to life. And brought to life is not like, oh, I still feel horrible. It's like brought to life like, whoa, I've been brought to life. New life. When I think about that land flowing with milk and honey, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't think about, like, I, I mean, as a kid, I probably thought more about it, where, where, like, it was, like, rivers of honey and milk, and it's like, well, that's kind of gross. But I think about people drinking milk or honey so, so much that they've been given that it's just pouring down the front of them like a toddler. i got a picture that it keeps coming to my mind. I wonder why. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, like that, like open mouth dripping. Like, God, I've got, I, I just feel this abundance, this, this growing abundance where I'm just like, I, I don't know why I would drink milk and honey together, yuck. Um, but, but that image, I think, when I see in Scripture, it is something of abundance. Like, you're just drinking that milk and you just, ah, it's a hot day, I'm going to pour it. Sounds gross, but, but there's something about abundance of what God wants to do in us. And that's how his spirit pours out on us. They used to anoint kings with jugs of olive oil. They anointed the, the, um, the high priests with this jug of olive oil. They'd have them dressed up in their, their finery, dressed up. I mean, I'm just thinking like, wow, that's going to leave a stain. But it is. It's going to leave a stain. <laughs> it's going to leave this covering. It's dripping over their beard as it describes. Doesn't that just make your face itch a little bit? Stuff just dripping over you. And it's just dripping down onto your clothes and onto your feet. And where everywhere you step, what happens? Yeah. Squish, but what's happening on the ground below that your feet? You're spreading something. You're leaving something behind. This is the image I get of a church on mission. God is pouring out that, that oil on you, that honey over you, that milk over you to the point of overflow, to the point where you are walking out and anointing every single place you go with that richness of the Spirit. You know what I'm talking about, right? Right? There's this wealth that is in every footstep that we have as believers. And yet we don't take that encouragement in us, do we? We don't understand that what is said in here can happen now. It does happen now and it can happen in you and through you. Not just in pages. This is a living word. Why does it have so many versions? Because we're still wrestling with it. The different versions are not about contradictory. The different versions are about, well, I, I, I don't see that this person that did this, these 70 people that went through and did this, I, I, I'm wrestling with this because I think it says this. This is, this is us. This is us spending time in, in the temple with one another and, and arguing and talking about the word. You know what I'm talking about? 
It says it in the word that they spent time in the temple together talking about the word. Talking about the word of God. This is our constant wrestle. And if we're not reading it, we're not in the wrestle. The thing is that either the the miraculous of the mundane will be expressed outwardly from the heart of God through Christ. Through Christ, empowered by the Spirit, and people will be drawn to, to Jesus. Or the life of mundane will draw us down into a place of just sitting and soaking up what's been given to us. I think we're meant to be a part of the miraculous, that miraculous nature of the mundane. And when I say that, the mundane being life. The things that we sometimes take for granted. The things that sometimes, have you ever noticed how like, um, Days are really long, but the years are really short. Those days are really long because sometimes we're like, it's like waiting for a bus. I I can't wait until I get to that point where I'm having dinner. Do you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Let me me say it another way. Um, Do you guys remember school, being being at school as a kid, and how it just seemed like it went forever? But summer was gone like that. Life is in the mundane. That anointing and overflow that is put into us and covering us and drenching our every step happens in the mundane. Happens in the the moments of the mundane. And it's... It's amazing to me how it's expressed from the heart of God. Jesus even says a little bit about this in in John um, chapter 17, 16 through 18. He says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Jesus is that truth. That truth that he is talking about. Because we see that in John. It talks about, you know, the beginning of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. So that Word is Jesus. The truth is Jesus. And we have been sanctified through Jesus and that walk to the cross. We've been sanctified by that. It really speaks to who we are in Jesus when we are on a mission from God. When we are so sold out that nothing is going to stop us. I'm on a mission from God. Can you say that? There you go. You're honorary members of the Blues Brothers Band. As a church that, as a church that mission is encouraging and generous... It's unified and honest. It's directed out, yet draws in. This is who we are called to be. This is what the mission is all about. If you have somebody come up to you and go, hey, what is the mission of your church? 
Could you tell them? Could you tell them what the mission of church is? Yeah, I think you could. And I think that it's, it may be a question that's asked of us more and more in the near future. Who are we? Why do we exist? Jesus. Love Jesus. Love everybody else. Love always. Because he loved us first. That's easy. To go into the world and make disciples. That make disciples. That make disciples. That means sharing what, what we've gone through. Sharing what we've struggled with. Sharing and being honest about what we've gone through. Because sometimes that honesty, it may, be, it may be like peeling off an old scar. Not, not, not a scab, but an old scar. But I'll tell you what, when you do that for somebody else, and you, you peel back and say that, that veil that sometimes we collect, the, the, the mask sometimes that slips over and hides who we really are, when we do that and we share that, that, that honesty it wrecks the work of the enemy. It wrecks the work of Satan. Because he wants us to put a mask over. He wants us to say, hey, how you doing this morning? Oh, I'm doing good. We don't do that in here because we talk way longer than that. <laughs> but the enemy wants that. He wants that kind of anonymity in the church. He wants us to be anonymous to one another because it makes his job so much easier. He can just, he can say, you know what, that church is taken care of. I can just put an underling there and he'll keep it in, in check. And he'll go try to take on somebody that's moving and shaking. But all it takes is you saying, you know what, this is who I am in Jesus. What he's done in me, what, what I've done, but what he's done in me. And it, like that, it wrecks the work of the enemy. Why don't you set your things aside?